So let's do something uncharacteristic okay. a little bit and talk about how wonderful the weather is. <laughs> Guys, I could open my front door. <sighs> I could open my front door. What a fantastic update. I have on a scarf. I wore a sweater yesterday. It really is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's so good. I mean, we're fluctuating a little bit here. Highs in the mid-70s to highs in the low 80s. Yeah. It gets warm again in I, the afternoon. I was going to say, the afternoons are a little toasty. But when I leave my house, it feels so wonderful. Good. It's so good. And the nighttime, you can have the windows open. We've had our front door open with a, our screen door. With the screen door, door yeah. yeah. And it's I couldn't wonderful. do that. No, no. I would have an escaped cat. <laughs> um... Yeah, it is. It finally is starting to feel like fall. And I feel a little bit better because mm-hmm. Nancy, uh, one of our booksellers, went to New York this past week. And I asked her, I said, oh, was it beautiful up there? Did it look like fall? Mm-hmm. She said, well, actually, it was a little disappointing that the leaves haven't fully changed because they had such a hot, wet right. summer right. that the leaves are changing, but they're only going to be up for a couple of Really, she said days yeah. before. It was snowing last week upstate. Yeah, I saw a picture from Vermont and I was like, oh, it is snowing while it is 80 degrees here. That's... Ugh. Yeah, I, I don't, don't know understand. that I could handle snow in Those October. Those are extremes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if I could do that. Um, but right now, temperate, sunny, beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. You can eat outside. You can. You can eat outside. Uh, it's so good. Uh, I'm so excited for this next... Two weeks. I was going to say three weeks. So, yeah, exactly. But, you know, maybe it'll hold out. It'll get cold in January. Well, and somebody told, I guess who also moved here from the north, they were at a book club meeting with Jordan, and Jordan was kind of complaining about how hot it was. And the guy was like, dude, this is amazing because we get to eat outside like eight months out of the year, nine months out of the year here. And I was like, I guess that's true. I guess. Like, you can't, like... (laughs) Because the most miserable, would you say the most miserable is July, August, September? August, for sure. Yeah. I think it's those three months that really you should just stay indoors. Well, September is the month that stinks up on you because you think it's over. Yes. And then it's not. It's not. And it's 98 every day. August is peak terrible. Mm-hmm. July is like you're used to it, so it's not really that bad. Mm-hmm. Like You've been eased into it from June. Yeah. But... I just thought it was interesting that this guy was like, no, I love how warm it is because we get to eat outside all the time. And I was like, okay, I guess I need to start using some citronella candles. <laughs> I guess that's true. Like I'm going to, I'm going to stay inside and enjoy my air conditioning. <laughs> and I'll just eat outside or as people so make fun of me, like I leave my front door open mm-hmm. and you know, with the air on full blast, <laughs> which is a waste. And I understand. Madam Moneybags over here. I, look, look, I don't do it all the time. Just when Jordan's not home. <laughs> episode 196 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. My name is Chris Jensen, and it is, like I said, nice, and I like it. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in beautiful downtown Thomasville, Georgia. Annie, we are coming up on a big old milestone here. Holy cow. How have we done 196 of these? Which (laughs) means I have done like 130-something of these, and you've done the other 60. (laughs) That's a big old number. That's wild. Um, And so to celebrate the occasion of our 200th episode, 
Um, we are going to do something we did on our 100th and 150th episodes. We're going to do a mailbag. Wish we had a theme song. Yeah. Remember Blue's Clues? Yeah. Here's the mail. It never fails. Makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Mail. Anyway. <laughs> um, we are going to be fielding questions from you. We also might... Thinking about this out loud. Okay. If you want to do this like on Instagram Live... We did that for the hundred. We did. I think we have more followers than we did. We have a lot more followers than we did. <laughs> Back then. Um, one, like literally two years ago when we did that. Um, that might be fun. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. Okay. We don't know. We'll figure um, it out. We might live record it. Okay. Or live stream it while we're recording it. Okay. That could be fun. That could be fun. Um, but what we want from you in the meantime is sometime in the next three weeks, this is going to air the first week of December, um, is email us your questions. What do you have for us? What do you want to know about us? What do you want to hear us talk about? Questions, topics, um, any sort of comment. Yeah. Do you know, I just did a crossword puzzle. Okay. Where one of the clues was internet, where they allow, internet meme, where they allow you to ask questions. And it was AMA, like ask Ask me me anything. anything. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. The podcast doesn't. AUA for patrons. Okay. Ask us anything. And I love those, but I didn't know it was a thing. I thought they made it up. Oh, no, that's a real thing. That's <laughs> been on Reddit for years. I'm so old. Uh, yeah. Um, so I used, AMA. I used to do AMAs with my students at the end of the semester. Oh, that's cute. I was 22 and didn't know better. Now I do. <laughs> um, not so cute. Not so cute. And so we're not going to do that anymore in that context. But, but in this are, context. These are all adults. These are adults, mostly, I think, according to our demographics. Yeah. And so. Anything you want to hear us talk about, anything you want to know, um, if you really want to know our strong opinion on any given book or movie or TV show or topic or person, <laughs> to, to a point. <laughs> to a point. <laughs> to a point. Um, we have a lot of fun with these episodes and we don't get to do them often. And so please send your questions to me at podcast at bookshelfthomasville.com or you can go to our podcast website from the front porch podcast.com where you can use the contact us form to send us whatever you like. Yeah, and closer to time, I'll probably do like an Instagram story so that people who follow us on Instagram just, can just quickly type yeah. a question that way. And we'll compile those and yeah. have a grand old time. I think it'll be fun. I'm excited to see what people ask. I think it'll be great. I hope people do ask. Me too. <laughs> do you remember when we did a like voice thing? We, oh, it's such a good idea. It was such a great idea where we had a thing on our website that like allowed people to record a question so that mm-hmm. we could put them in the show. Yeah. And one person did it. And what was, do you remember his username? I don't. It was, it was something that we thought was like kind of creepy. Yeah. Like we couldn't figure out what it was. And then I listened to it and it was my brother. Uh-huh. <laughs> so thank, thank you, chat. Thanks, chat. He said, first time caller. Wait, long time listener, first, first time, time caller. caller. Which... So charming. That's adorable. Anyway, we're excited about that. That'll be episode 200. Send me your questions whenever you have them. This week, however, we're going to talk about the Great American Read. We're finally going to recap this thing. We're going to follow up on this episode from months ago. Yeah, we re- didn't. We did record an we did. episode, didn't we? Yeah, we did. So, I don't know. Did you watch any of them? No. Okay. I watched the first... I, I think I watched the first one. I watched the first watched one the first or the first one. two. And they were great. Yeah. And then I just had a hard time keeping up with them. So mm-hmm. I guess now they're all available on PBS.org. Right. So now I will watch them. But I did keep up with 
what books were kind of like in the running. Exactly. Um, so I need to go back and watch some of the episodes. If you are not familiar with The Great American Read, it is a special that PBS did, hosted by my beloved Meredith Vieira. And she <laughs> kind of walked us through America's favorite novels. This is based on democratic voting, because America. And um, kind of did like a top 100 books, and then voting kind of has taken place all summer long until they finally got it down, I think, and honored maybe the top five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I believe they did different episodes episodes on like mysteries and suspense you know southern literature or yeah. whatever so i'd like to go back Themed and watch episodes, those but then made a top 100 list exactly um and we kept um kept in our store mm-hmm. a little voting yeah. area where people voted on their favorite and if i'm not mistaken olivia can correct me on this but i think um some of the same books that made it into the national top five made it into our that makes sense so yeah i think that's interesting that um i'd be curious to know the demographics of the voters i'm really curious about the demographics of the voters um because that will tell us a lot about these picks yeah and not just like do they represent america right or do they represent a portion of america oh i'm sure a portion of America. it's definitely a portion of america but i do think it probably represents the book clubs of America. I think it absolutely represents the book the book clubs of America. And so... Wait, can I say what my guess was? I think I even said this okay. on the episode. Yeah, I think you did. I think I predicted uh-huh. that To Kill a Mockingbird would win. You absolutely did. And was that correct? You were. And so kind of what I'd like to do to start is maybe count down from five to one. We yes. know To Kill a Mockingbird won, but let's talk about these top five. Okay. Because um, I have very strong feelings about... Two and a half of them. Okay. Um, I have read five of the f- four of the five, okay. which is good, so I can actually intelligently discuss this. Yeah. Um, but let's do this. So number five was Lord of the Rings. Um, are I, you surprised by this being in the top? A five? little bit. Um, a little bit. Do you I would think have expected movie... more of The Hobbit, and I think the movie yeah. um, played a big part in this, which I would argue is probably true of all five of these. Yes, I'm gonna say. Americans love their television and their movies. Which, same. And look, somebody like Jordan Jones adores Lord of the Rings. I adore Lord of the Rings. But I don't think Jordan has read them. Okay, and I think that's okay. And I've talked about that with Jordan, I think. Um, Because the Peter Jackson trilogy is masterful. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget, they won Best Picture at the Oscars. all the time. Um, They swept the Oscars for three years. 01, 02, and 03. Um, so these are quality films. They are quality adaptations. They are very different from the books in many respects. Interesting. Um, I reread these books, I want to say maybe four years ago. I read them first when I was 19, um, which I recognize as a little old, mm-hmm. um, to have first read them, but I was 11, 12, and 13 when those movies came out. Oh gosh, you were a baby. I was, and I saw all of them in the theater with my mom. Aww. And we liked watching them, and my mom still watches them on TV, which I think is really charming because that is very much not her whole thing. And that is a commitment of time. It is. <laughs> it it is. Um, I if I were to place like my mom's taste, it would be like more realistic, like family drama, literary fiction kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but she watches this Lord of the Rings movies. I'm sure she thinks of you. I'm sure she does, and I love it's that. Wonderful. Um, I've seen these movies literally dozens of times. They are wonderful. And I've read these books, I think, three times. And I do think there is clearly, and maybe this is true of the top five, 
there's certainly a fandom yes. around Lord of the Rings. Yes. I do think in my head, when I picture the demographic of who's watching The Great American Read and who's voting, I think I'm picturing book club ladies and this seems outside. I agree. The book club lady. I completely agree. Lord of the Rings, I think, throws a wrench in our theory about demographics yeah. here. Um, because I picture young young white men. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's and true. And I think older white women are who I expected to be voting in this. Yeah, I think I think that's what I pictured. Yeah. We could be way off base, but I think We that's could what be, I but that's our our non-expert. And I will opinion. say when you at least when you watch that first episode of The Great American Read and they're introducing some of these titles, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me which celebrities mm-hmm. are talking about are them. talking about mm-hmm. which books. Like some of it totally matches and makes mm-hmm. sense and some of it you're like, "What? You like yeah. that?" Um, I think one of the people who spoke about Lord of the Rings, I think you could guess George R. R. Martin. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so I wonder too if voters, like I'm curious how many voters were really watching the show and were swayed by like mm-hmm. some of the arguments these people were making. Because George R. R. Martin made some really good points about yeah. why he loved these. They're lasting. Yeah. And really, it is one book. Yes. And I'll be pedantic about this a little bit <laughs> because it is one book that was divided. That's actually, it's one book that's divided into six books that's then published as three volumes. Okay. And each volume contains two books. So it is technically six books. We talk about it as a trilogy, but it's really not. Okay. Anyway, that's my small That's so thing. interesting. Little Women, uh, when I read that book about Little Women, I had forgotten Little Women is really two books. Yeah. And I forget that because I think I'm most familiar with the first half, but I right. definitely read the second half of that book. Right. Like, it's sold as one book, but it's two books. Um, Lord of the Rings, though, has a fairly timeless appeal in that it is, a, in a lot of ways, simple story of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, it is comfortingly black and white in a lot of aspects that many modern readers do find a little problematic mm-hmm. um, in its depiction of of orcs especially as just these like irredeemably evil creatures and that's it and there is no humanity to, you know no humanity to be found in them despite the fact that they speak they have a language they have communities they have families and like that's kind of scary to think about now yeah. that we can dehumanize an entire race yeah um and so Let's be critical about that. Yeah. I still think these are amazing. Yeah, I think you can do both. We can absolutely do both. And the triumph of good over evil, the triumph of um, community over despotism, Mm -hmm. the triumph of long-held traditions that need to bend and change with the times over unimposed order by a dark lord is something that is always going to resonate. Yeah. It was written in the wake of World War II, we really see that in its story, and I think it's still resonant today. Talking about something a little older, though, number four is Pride and Prejudice. Um, I it, think Pride and Prejudice inspires the same kind of fandom. Absolutely. As Lord of the Rings, just a different demographic, and so it manifests differently. Yeah, and, and certainly what's fascinating about Pride and Prejudice is across generations yeah. it is beloved. So I even remember a couple of young women who worked at the bookshelf several years ago loved... Um, Gosh, I forget. It was some movie that they begged me to watch about Jane Austen and oh, about becoming Jane or one no, of those. Was it one of those? It was just Austen Land. Austen Land. That's right. <laughs> Which, guys, spoiler. Oof. I did not. No, you did, did not. not. I remember that. <laughs> did not like that at all. So, no offense if you did, because I know a lot of people do, but I did not. But my point is, the person who was asking me to watch that was a, I think, sixteen or seventeen. 
And so I think it's fascinating that Pride and Prejudice, which was written eons ago, is something that sure my mom might like or I might like, but mm-hmm. also teenagers like. Right. I think that's really interesting. Um, and I do think, especially after reading with my book club, we talked about this a lot, after reading Rebecca, which made it to number 25, yep. I think, on this list. Um, after reading Rebecca, which was written in the 1930s, Pride and Prejudice was written... In the late 1790s or early 1800s. Okay. In the first decade of the 1800s. Okay. So when you look at Pride and Prejudice and the kind of woman Lizzie Bennet is, Mm -hmm. and then when you compare it to 1930s Rebecca, Uh those women in Rebecca certainly have agency, but it's interesting to me that Lizzie Bennet is so her own person uh-huh. in a culture where that would have been head scratching. And is uh, still such an iconic character. And I wonder if she's iconic because she feels modern. Right. She still feels modern. 200 years later. Yeah, which is um, really remarkable. And a little sad. Yes. <laughs> that this character who was progressive and remarkable in her own day 200 yeah. years ago still feels that way. Yeah. Um, I think Jane Austen would be sad about that she might hope we were a little bit more forward maybe a little more forward by now but but I I think Lizzie Ben I mean and I am one of these people who I would not have chosen Pride and Prejudice as as one of the great American reads no because as we looked at this top five three of the five are British yeah and I very much associate Pride and Prejudice as a British right. story. However, that is not to say it's not universal. Right. Like, I absolutely believe it's a universal Lord story. Lord of the Rings, too, is quintessentially English. Yes. For sure. And so Pride and Prejudice is an interesting book to me to be considered, like... I know they weren't really saying the great American novel. That's right. a different thing. Right, of course, saying. yeah. Um, this is books that American readers love. Right, but I find it fascinating yeah. that American... Gosh, we just love the British. Love the Brits. Can't get away from that's them. That's our... Uh, it's in our DNA. Look, it is. That's why I, that's why I love the monarchy. That's why I care that Harry and Meghan are pregnant. I guess it's all related. <laughs> it, it might be. Yeah. I read something that, like, Americans seem to care a lot more about the royal family than, like, everyday British people do. Yeah. And I get that. Sure, we need them. Yeah. We Americans need it we, right now, okay? We look up to that, and the <laughs> British understand that it is a an outmoded, outdated, weirdly oppressive... Those princes <laughs> are trying, though, guys. It seems like I a, think they're trying. It seems like it. We're going to find out. We'll see. History will say. But regardless, I think Pride and Prejudice certainly deserves a spot. Like It's a great novel. Based on how many people I know read that book religiously yeah. every year. Yeah. Um, and again, like Lord of the Rings, lots of adaptations. Absolutely. Lots of we retellings. See we see it in film a lot. Yeah. Um, if I hear one more woman talk about Colin Firth in a white shirt, <laughs> I just don't understand. Is it Colin Firth? That's I, who it is, right? Is it? I don't know. Is Colin Firth the I older thought... one? Maybe. He was in Bridges Jones' diary. I mean, I know who Colin Firth is. Is he the older one? Not Colin Farrell. No, not Colin Farrell. It's Colin Firth. I have not even seen that version of Pride and Prejudice, which there are women yelling at their radios. Radios? Sure. <laughs> there are women yelling at their phones right it, now. Into their headphones. Um, they are so aggravated with me. I've never seen that version of Pride and Prejudice, but partly now I just don't see it out of sheer principle. I yeah. need to see Colin Firth come out of the water with like a white... We've all seen Casino Royale and get it's Daniel Craig fine. coming out of the water. It's, it's a different scenario. Number three what is another one that did not surprise me in the slightest. Okay. Harry Potter. I The only thing that surprises me is that it's not two. Number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and just roll with it. Um, 
Which actually clues me into a lot of the demographics of yeah. who's voting in this. Yeah. The fact that number two beat number three. Oh, yes, for sure. Especially given what number two is. Exactly. And so we'll talk about that in a minute. But Harry Potter, obvious. Beloved children's series. Again, multi-generational. Multi-generational. Like, and new multi-generational. Yes. Because it's something that millennials are passing on to their kids. Yep. But, like, you and your mom kind of shared Lord of the Rings. My dad and I shared Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. So my dad has read all the books. Yep. He's 67. I'm trying to get my mom to read them now. I think she'd love them. She would love them. Um, And it's something that, like, I think we guilt one another into reading Mm -hmm. a little bit. Like... Um, even Olivia flipped out the other day when she heard that Ashley has only listened to them. Uh-huh. Um, and I think Ashley's read the first three, but she's listened to all seven. Yeah. And Olivia's like, you've what? only listened <laughs> to that? Like, so we do carry almost around this uh, just slight judgment yeah. when people haven't read them. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to a fandom, um, a and, culture. And people who have not read them or at least encountered them in film media like are doing that intentionally. That's absolutely, point. yeah. That's absolutely right. I It's the new Star Wars. If you haven't seen Star Wars, you have intentionally avoided yeah, Star Wars. That's right. And I think And why? Just like Lord of the Rings, when you go back, I mean, I loved Harry Potter for the story it was telling. Yep. It's a super compelling story. And but I've then, loved it since nineteen ninety eight. Yes. But then underlying are these really deep truths about humanity. Absolutely. And I don't think that's lost on the reader. And if you're like me, you I mean, it's a little different now. I think you could probably binge all seven. I read them every year as they came out. And so I got older alongside the characters. And so it was like, as Harry and his friends were discovering deeper meanings, I too got to experience deeper meanings. I almost feel like I'll want my children to read them this way. You know what I mean? Instead of all at once, like I'll want them to read them, which will be impossible to do. I want them to read the books before they see the movies. Yes. I think the movies are just okay. Me too. You and I agree on that. I think three and five and seven seven part one are all great. Yes. And all the rest of them are okay. Yeah, and I think that's, I, that's true. an unpopular opinion, and I'm okay with that. I I do think that's true though. Like, I'm not one of those people who rewatches those movies. I like. I've it, rewatched them more in the past year and a half. Um, are but they I, good? I just I feel like fine. I watch them and I love them as a nostalgia thing. My dad yeah. and I experienced together. Okay, so I boycotted them as a child. Okay. Because I was a thin boy with messy hair and glasses, <laughs> and people called me Harry Potter. Right. And I didn't like it. I still liked those books, but then I just couldn't see those movies on principle. Uh-huh. First one came out when I was 11 or 12, somewhere around there. Um, I didn't like that. Yeah. I didn't like that association. So I didn't see any of them after the first one until the fifth one came out, okay. I think. Um, so that was several years. I think the last couple of movies are pretty good. Yeah. I just, I just, as a lover of the books, I thought the movies were fine. Yeah. There are lots of moments that are just charming yeah. and great. And you watch them for those moments. Yes. And absolutely. that's it. Um, number two is one that I don't have a lot of familiarity with. I know. I don't either. And I think, obviously, you and I are in the We're minority. We're not the demographic here. Um, <laughs> but it's Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. I am shocked. I'm so shocked. As the kids would say, shook. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I think, I will say... As a bookseller and someone who runs a bookstore, Mm -hmm. I know that these books are beloved. I know that women in particular have found immense comfort and joy in these books and in the television Mm -hmm. show. This is not a series that I have ever thought I would try. Mm -mm. 
but now I'm kind of like, well, what is it? What is it about these that, I mean, people obviously love them. I knew they had a fandom. I did not realize number two on the Great, Great American, American Read. Read. Like, the, that is shocking information to this, me. This, like, romance-ish, yeah. mostly, I think series where a modern woman time travels, time travels to, like, 17th, 18th century Scotland or something. Right. Which may be why we also see Pride and Prejudice at four. Yeah. Maybe part of the reason we see Outlander at two is because of the love and admiration and obsession we have with Pride and Prejudice. Interesting. I mean, obviously they're different, yeah. know, different cultures, different entities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do wonder if we... We romanticize we, that time period, yes. that like colonial America time period, yeah. but... Yeah. And I think we romanticize. I mean, as you said, there's a little bit of problem. You know, there's some problematic things oh, for about sure. that. But I do wonder if women in particular... I mean, I just think of that 17-year-old girl who wanted me to watch Austin Land. Yeah. And Austin Land is all about, I think, a real thing where women go back and, and dress like and celebrate Jane Austen's England. And that blows my mind. Yeah. Like, that is fascinating to me. And, and this young girl who recommended this to me, like, she loved that idea. I do not love that idea, um, but I don't even dress up for Halloween like right. as an adult. Like that's right. just not my thing. Yeah. Um, but I I find this fascinating. So I wonder, yeah, if we have this obsession a little bit with what we see as maybe pure romance. Like I'd be curious where Fifty Shades of Grey fell on this top. And I feel like if we're gonna call like I don't know Cinemax After Dark a ten and Fifty Shades is a is a nine, I think. Outlander something like a seven from what I've heard. Yeah. F- Fifty Shades of Grey got number 86. Mm. And I wonder if we feel like, and I've not read Fifty Shades of Grey, nor will I, and I've not read Outlander. I don't know if I will. Uh, but I just wonder if there's something to kind of yeah. break down there about what we find appropriate romance yeah. and what we find... Well, because isn't the whole thing that she's married... Is that true? The protagonist is married in the present day, but now she's time-traveled and she's in Scotland, and oops. I didn't know that. Yeah. What? Is that true? I'm pretty sure it was on the promo for the the new season that I saw. She's got a wedding band on. Well, now now Annie B. Jones got all kinds of questions. So many questions, (laughs) and so... Well, we'll move on. But if you want to submit these for for our mailbag episode, like... Interesting. Glad to take it. Well, my I can't even focus on anything else now. But you're gonna have to because number one, of course, is To Kill a Mockingbird, which we knew from the start Look, going in. How could it be anything else? And and I think you and I come at this from both similar perspectives and yeah. then slightly different. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the reasons I think I predicted that this would be at the top of the list is because to me, as a white Southern person, mm-hmm. it feels quintessentially American. Yeah. Um, and I know this wasn't a race for the great American novel, right. but it feels like a book America would love. Mm-hmm. America loves being the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, America loves saving the day. Mm-hmm. America loves rich, vibrant storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, America loves kids. I really do think a lot of the books in the, this top yes. five are kid friendly. Yep. Um, and so... Three out of five. For yeah, sure. and so I think all these things, and when you even look, if you keep looking at the list, some, many of the things that were at the top, like Charlotte's Web, I think is in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the books feature children or are yeah. appropriate for children. Our Chronicles of Narnia also top ten. Yeah, Little Women top ten. Yeah, so I think there are a lot of things that make this book still relevant. Yep. Um, and 
unsurprising to me that America would say this is our favorite book. Yeah. I think I'd like to talk about something you brought up while before we started recording, which is do Americans read post high school? Looking at this list, <laughs> I think no. Guys, are we other reading? than Outlander? <laughs> yeah, other than Outlander, which I don't think right. would ever be put on a summer read. Like I don't no. think I've seen that no, on no, a summer no. reading. Um, list. And it's a and that has a cult following, which yes. I appreciate and respect. Of adults. Yep. Post college, yep. post high school adults. But looking at this list. I mean, and I'm ballparking here, but I would say upwards of 75 of them are books that are commonly assigned in high school. Yeah. And as I as we've talked about, high school is very important. Yes. These books are assigned because they're good. Yes. A lot of the time. Yeah. Sometimes because they're some entrenched school board kind of thing and like that's its own story. But I think what I have encountered is that a lot of people read a book in high school, don't really understand it. And then go into adulthood thinking they either hate reading Mm -hmm. or did not like this book. Mm -hmm. What I'm getting from The Great American Read, though, is that perhaps these are the only books that people have read or encountered. I do wonder that. And before we started recording, we looked up how many books on average Mm -hmm. Americans read. And so the average number was 12. Right. Which the data said was skewed Mm -hmm. because people listening to this, including our beloved Kate... Are reading like 200 books a year. And so, do you know this joke that's all over the internet for years now? Probably not because you didn't know AMA until recently. But there's there's a joke about like there's a statistic that humans eat like six spiders over the course of their lifetime. This is a skewed statistic because of this man, spiders Georg, who lives in a cave and eats spiders all day uh, long. I thought for that. <laughs> He's an outlier. Yes, I I get it. So I feel like the people listening to this podcast are outliers. Yeah. Um. For sure. But. So then the data said... The most commonly reported number was four, which makes sense to me. That follows to me. It does make sense because people are busy. They're watching Netflix. They're working 40 hours a week-ish. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they're reading, I I think, a book a season. Yeah. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't either. I'm not here to shame people mm-hmm. over how much they're reading. But I think it's interesting. Yes. Then, then, then when you look at this list, more modern lit... Um, even something like commercially successful like Jurassic Park or The Godfather uh-huh, uh-huh. is down on the list. Way down. When do you think the last time is somebody actually read Frankenstein, which is more middle of the list? Right. Above Jurassic Park and above The um, Godfather. We've got The Martian at 61. Yeah. Uh, so that's very recent. The Lovely Bones. But again, that was a popular movie with Matt Damon. Yeah. The um, movie was not as good. I did. And I liked the movie, but I loved the book. And it didn't make sense how much I loved the book. There's Gilead right before Flowers in the Attic. Ready Player One, right in front of Left Behind. Okay. Oh, the Left Behind books. The Left Behind books. Look, those left a mark. They left a mark behind. Oh, no. (laughs) But then we've also got, so, Americana. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic. Yeah. And, like, I'm so glad that made the list. And so that tells me that somebody's out there reading contemporary lit. Yeah. Um, Even Brief Wonders Life of Oscar Wilde, which I have feelings about. I think it's very overrated. And Juno Diaz is a monster. Yeah. Um, But somebody's reading contemporary lit because pilgrim's progress is at number eight 80 80 excuse me yeah no 80 but there and there's gone girl Uh and that makes sense like but it's interesting that you're right in that top 20 are really what we typically call summer reading books yep and and these are all these are mostly i won't say all these are mostly very good books and mostly books that children read yep and so i find it fascinating that perhaps we are a culture that encourages our children to read Mm -hmm. But maybe 
we don't keep encouraging that in ourselves. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And as much as Mockingbird is a great book, and we've talked about it at length on this show, there is a part of me that just wonders why 2018's favorite book in America is a book written in the 50s about problematic race relations in the 30s. Yeah. I mean, it's and it's hard, right? Yeah, like when it you is. sit down and really examine literature, and I, everybody knows, like To Kill a Mockingbird is my favorite book. Yep. And, it's, and it's a wonderful book. I know it's cliche, um, but I truly adore that book. I adore what Harper Lee did with it. Um, I also. I also believe there are things about it that in 2018 feel difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can acknowledge they're and, difficult, and some things that are wrong. I was about to say, and if we could acknowledge that, then I think we're yeah we're going to be okay. And we can read it critically and still value it as good literature and a story well told, yeah. even if it doesn't get everything right. And I think too, we live in a culture that's um, quick to shame. Yeah, and so you know, I. I don't want to shame, like, I I love To Kill a Mockingbird. I, and I do too. Um, but I want to also be aware of the feelings it might bring mm-hmm. up, and I also want to be aware of what it gets wrong. Yeah. Um, also, and, let's remember that Atticus doesn't win the case. Yeah, which you People and I talk always about. forget. People forget that. Yeah. Like, they really do forget. And even, I think I said this, like, when Jordan and I went to see the play this year in Monroeville, mm-hmm. and, like, these sweet... I guess they weren't actually very nice, but these little old ladies sat in front of us mm-hmm. and they were appalled at the language. And I was like, have you guys not read? Like, right. what are you doing here? Like, <laughs> why are you appalled at the language? The language is appalling, but it wasn't back then. Mm-hmm. It should be now. Like, mm-hmm. but, but it, there are all kinds, the book should make you feel things and it should bring up some complicated Feelings and the problem sometimes I think with To Kill a Mockingbird is that it doesn't bring up complicated feelings. It just brings about nostalgia. Warm nostalgia. Yes. And like we'd have to remember that this is centrally a book about a black man who is falsely accused of a crime. Yes. And executed for yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, we can't forget that. Yeah. That is the meat of that book. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and as much as we love, we love, what's her name? Scout Story. Yeah. Um, and her narration, and it's beautiful, and it is warm and nostalgic. I think it is wrong for us to forget what the book's really about. Yes, and I think because of Scout's voice that we can't forget. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like her voice is so. We are so aware yeah. of who she is and how old she is that sometimes I think we forget really what's going on. Yeah, and I think that's intentional. I think it that's is. Harper it Lee being is. smart. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there, and it's fascinating. I predicted that it would be at the top. Yep. I'm a little surprised by Outlander. I'm a lot surprised I'm by Outlander. I'm a lot surprised by Outlander. Um, <laughs> but I'm also a little surprised by how much classic literature, mm-hmm. which adults now claim to not enjoy, right. is listed in the top 25. Right. Um, it is. It is really... Just interesting. Just, let's eyeball this. How many of these have come out in the past, let's say, even 30 years? Harry Potter. Outlander, Harry Potter. That long pause is us looking at this list. Tree Grows in Brooklyn, I think, is 70s? Mm, No, I think think it's earlier. I think it's older, but Book Thief. Book Thief. The Help. The Help. Um, Let's go down to 25. Um, Yep, that's it. So four of the top 25 were published in the last 30 years. And, and I, as a bookseller, would like to say there are some books of literature being written right now 
that are equally powerful, uh-huh. equally as compelling, yep. life-changing, yep. Uh, that, that I guess people aren't reading. No. Well, and I will say, I don't know if you've seen this, but they're not reading it this year. So this year, sales of fiction are down. Significantly, people are reading history and politics. But nonfiction's up? Nonfiction's up. and That makes sense. Sci-fi and fantasy are up. That also makes sense. Yeah. Escapism. Like, it's escapism. To the, to the ex- most extreme. Yeah. Yeah. That's one aspect of it. But I think another aspect of it is that it's becoming destigmatized as a, as a genre fiction. That's true. Um, because of the rash of superhero movies, because TV. of Lord of the Rings and TV, I p- think people are unafraid to try yeah. new things, which... And I they're reading so post-apocalyptic literature because uh-huh. the world feels sometimes a little post-apocalyptic. And those are not always escapist. No, no. Um, sci-fi and fantasy are often very critical of the world world we live in today. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about them. I just think it's fascinating it that fi- literary fiction and, and commercial fiction, whatever, both yeah. both of those are down this year. Yeah, that makes sense to me in a sad, sad way. Sad, sad. So here's the thing. I love this list. Mm-hmm. I think it's very telling. It's a great list. I think it's interesting. Don't let this Great American Read list be the guide to your future reading. Don't let this Great American Read list shame you into reading books that you don't necessarily want to read. Right. Go to your local bookseller. Go to your local library and see what see what else is popular. And look, I say this as someone who adores Little Women, who adores To Kill a Mockingbird. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, like I love those things, but I also don't want to miss out on some really great literature that's coming out right now by people of color. That's the other thing missing from this list. There's a lot of things missing from this list. (laughs) So so this list... it's women and people of color. Yeah, so which I guess, kudos to Harper Lee and... Diana Austin Gappleton and, and Jane Austen yeah. and J.K. Rowling. <laughs> because they were few of the women on the list. Four of the top five. Yeah. Um, so I think as with anything, there's a lot to glean from yeah. this. Like there's a lot of conversation to be had. It's an interesting conversation. Yeah. That we could have for weeks. Hours. Okay, yeah. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I meant weeks of episodes. Oh, yes. So hours. Hours. Yes. Is what, yes. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I'm not surprised and yet I guess I am yeah. And it makes me want to tell people, hey, if you liked To Kill a Mockingbird, read Picking Cotton. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. if you liked these, if you liked Little Women, read The Vanderbeekers. Mm-hmm. Like read, if you if you liked Little Women, go back and read All of a Kind Family, which is about this fantastic Jewish family. Like we, right. and, and I loved those books as a kid and they opened my eyes to a different kind of the Jewish population than Anne Frank. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you love Lord of the Rings, read anything by Marlon James, who yes. writes this kind of like Black Panther-esque Afrofuturism, like very, very interesting writer, current, new, yeah. new book coming out in January, I think. Yeah. So just use this list as a guide but I wouldn't let it be like, okay, these are America's favorite books, so this is all I'm going to read now. Yeah, absolutely, because we know there's, there's more. There's so much more. We're at the bottom of the barrel again. Started out strong, but now we're coming up thin. Oh, we've cast our lots with all the devils of sin. Oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. 
From the Front Porch is a production of The Bookshelf, an independent bookstore in Thomasville, Georgia. It's produced by me, Annie Jones, and Chris Jensen, and edited by Chris Jensen. If you're interested in purchasing any of the books we've talked about on today's episode, you can do so at bookshelfthomasville.com forward slash shop. Thank you so much to Forlorn Strangers for the use of our theme music. It's called Bottom of the Barrel from their album Forlorn Strangers. Learn more at forlornstrangers.com. If you'd like to support From the Front Porch on Patreon and gain access to exclusive bonus content, you can check us out on our website, www.patreon.com slash fromthefrontporch. You can also check out our actual website, fromthefrontporchpodcast.com, for web-only content, a full back catalog of our show, and a way to contact us to submit your questions for our mailbag episode. This week in the bookshelf, a funny thing happened. So I'm always careful about what customer stories I share. Yeah. Um, Obviously. Yeah. Because, again, going back to shame, like, I don't want to shame people, um, but I am going to tell this story, which is the other day, we have this customer who comes in every so often, but this is, we do occasionally get odd requests, Mm -hmm. and this one I just was baffled by. This guy came in the store, he saw that Olivia had her Mac up, which is not even a new, like, it's a white Mac. It's old, yeah. and he was like, hey, um, would you mind, I just have lost my Mac operating system, and so can I just put my USB and download your operating system and then transfer it to my computer? No. That's a hard no. First of all, clearly I've got issues, because my first thought was, he's going to put a camera on your phone. Yeah. I mean, a camera on your computer Absolutely. and watch you in your That's sleep. That's what I thought. Like, that was my gut reaction. That's my first thought. Like, what in the world? And also... No. So anyway, this is a customer story I'm willing to share because I just absolutely. couldn't believe how bizarre. That is absolutely bizarre. More bizarre than that poor woman who bought two copies of Codependent No More. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week.